Hey everybody, this is Dr. Sam Byrne, and uh, for our show today, we've got some great questions. I'm going to be answering a question about a rare optic nerve disease in children. I'm also going to be uh, answering a question about the ketogenic diet and how that might affect dry eye syndrome. I'm going to answer a question about myopia and my eye clarity physical eye therapy program. And finally, I'm going to be answering a question about central retinal vein occlusion. It's a very serious disease. So stay tuned. We've got a great show ahead. Hello, everyone. This is Dr. Sam Byrne, and I'd like to welcome you to the program today. Uh, We keep getting these amazing questions, and uh, so I think I'll just jump in with our first question. This is from a very concerned mom. Her name is Trish. And this is what she writes. I am seeking information about an underdeveloped optic nerve in my child. She's nine years old, and she just visited the eye doctor for the first time. And we were both told that she has an underdeveloped optic nerve. After reading about this condition and how it can affect the pituitary gland, a lot of dots have been connected as to what's been going on with my daughter. For example, she can't handle hot weather, she gets dehydrated, she has low blood sugar issues, and she has fainted a few times. She even has low energy. Our pediatrician always just said they'll keep an eye on these issues, but never recommended her seeing a specialist. I'm looking for some guidance as to how I can help my daughter so she can function normally especially in the summertime, so she doesn't have to worry about fainting or being lightheaded. Any direction that you can give me is appreciated. All right, Trish. Well, this is a condition called optic nerve hypoplasia. And it can be a congenital disorder. And it is characterized by, as we call it, an underdeveloped or The medical term would be called hypoplasia of the optic nerves. Now, the optic nerves, they transmit impulses from the uh, nerve-rich membranes lining the retina of the eye. And I kind of think of it as the optic, um, the fiber optic pathway or the fiber optic connection of the eyes to the brain because the optic nerves, um, nerves, are in very um, important communication as these electrical impulses go back to the brain, and this is how we see. Now, children with this uh, optic nerve hypoplasia, it is true, they can have uh, pituitary problems. Uh, they can also have difficulty with how, the, the both, both, how both hemispheres of the brain communicate with each other. And there's something in the middle called the corpus callosum, which are nerve fibers that that uh, connect both hemispheres. Um, Some other things that can happen would be, uh, you know, any kind of endocrine imbalance because the hypothalamus also coordinates the function of the pituitary gland and it uh, helps release certain hormones. So it isn't just looking at the pituitary but it's looking at the hypothalamus. Uh, I would also include the adrenal function, 
the thyroid function. So there's a whole endocrine uh, connection to this particular syndrome. Probably even more important is that children with this uh, optic nerve uh, challenge, although they may have normal intelligence, they can suffer some developmental delays. Now, I'm not hearing that in your case, but you know, in our sensory motor developmental sequence that we actually start developing very early in the gestation period, uh, many times if we have this congenital condition, it does affect our sensory motor development. Now, in terms of your question, um, one of the ways that I look at this is that we look at the, the structure, for sure, and we assess, you know, the health and the, you know, anatomy and physiology of our structures. But one of the other things that I feel is very important that's overlooked here is the functional aspects of how the eye-brain-body uh, work together. And I would include all the sensory systems, the visual system, the vestibular, inner ear, the auditory processing, and our motor system. And again, I'm not really hearing uh, that this is a concern for you, but in the overall scheme of things, you know, one of my teachers used to say that a vision problem is more than just in the eyeball, but it's in the whole person. And he was referring to uh, children specifically that in terms of assessing a, a, a person's vision, especially a child, we want to do so from a developmental perspective, meaning that the functional aspects of how we use our eyes, our tracking, our focusing, our visual coordination, our eye-hand coordination, and other visual cognitive skills, these particular functional abilities tend to have some interference in conditions like your daughter's. And the first place that I would start would be to go to a functional doctor who can assess the visual development as it relates to the whole person. And this starts with looking at these very early movement patterns called the primitive survival reflexes. Now, these are movement patterns. I've spoken about them in other shows. And these movement patterns are reptilian in nature. They they're very important for the fetus and the infant, but then they should become integrated at about age one. Um, and then after that, the infant toddler starts developing their motoring abilities as it relates to their visual system. And so in this particular case, getting the functional vision assessed beyond eye health and acuity is very important. And, you know, sometimes occupational therapists or developmental physical therapists, it's hard to find a specialist who can assess the functional vision. And yet what's missing here is the whole area of the functional vision. Because, you know, 10% of seeing is in the eyeball and 90% of seeing is in the brain. And even if there is a visual deficit going on, in the eyes, and there may be, you know, as we say, this optic nerve challenge. 
What's going on with the peripheral vision, the visual field? How well are the two eyes working together? How are the eyes working with the body in terms of nav navigating in space? What's the depth perception like? These are all really important uh, skills that, in my belief, should be assessed, and you have to go beyond the eye health uh, picture. Now, that being said, I also think that working with a more holistically-minded physician who can assess um, both the systemic and metabolic health of your daughter, and I'm speaking about a functional medicine doctor now, whereas a functional medicine doctor can take a look at this optic nerve situation and see how it may be impacting the endocrine system, the nervous system, the digestive system. And in doing that, there may be both dietary things, supplements that could be really beneficial in reducing some of the symptoms that you stated when you asked your question. And a regular allopathic doctor usually does take the conservative approach of, you know, let's just watch it, or we'll treat the symptoms, usually with medication. But a functional medicine doctor looks at many different factors, dietary absorption, endocrine health, toxicities in the body, uh, just, just to name a few. And I think that if you could, you know, support your daughter's, for example, immune system uh, through maybe increasing probiotics uh, or uh, other techniques to improve dietary absorption, reducing inflammation in the body, um, increasing the fats and oils in the diet, which, by the way, are very important for the optic nerve. So working with a functional medicine doctor and getting an assessment, then you could determine uh, what fats and oils your daughter needs. I mean, one thing I can say is that you know, the omega-3 DHA is very important for optic nerve health, and this could be very supportive. So there's a lot of uh, areas here that you could explore. Another uh, modality that I would definitely look into would be craniosacral therapy, because if you can improve the cranial rhythm in the brain, it's very intimately tied into our eye nourishment, our eye health, the optic nerves. So by improving the um, cerebral spinal fluid movement through craniosacral therapy, I think this could be a major breakthrough. You could look at things like homeopathy, essential oils. Uh, these are all alternative and complementary modalities that could be very supportive for your daughter. So there's a lot of things that you could look at, a lot of stones that you could uncover in supporting your daughter's both uh, biochemical health, physical health, endocrine health, metabolic health, and also how the visual system is really operating from a functional level based on the, uh, the health of the optic nerves right now. So I hope that that gives you some help. Um, I really appreciate the question, and um, thank you so much for your participation. All right, question two. This is from Debbie. I appreciate your podcasts and supplements. It all makes a lot of sense. I have a question about the plus lens exercise. 
My eyes used to be very nearsighted at minus 7.25. Then I had laser surgery, LASIK surgery, PRK, and this was about 20 years ago. My left eye is nearly 20-20, but my right eye didn't heal right. And the PRK was redone, and now I'm farsighted, plus 4, in the right eye. My question is about using the plus lens exercise. Does that make sense for one eye, to do it for one eye or both? Would they both use a plus lens for this exercise? Or would the right eye be better with a minus lens? Thank you. Well, Debbie, uh, I love this question because, uh, you know, the, the whole premise on having any kind of refractive surgery done is that you're changing the prescription only in the eyeball, but you're not addressing the prescription that's in the brain and in the body. And so it creates a, a mismatch between the change in the refractive error in the eyeball and what the refraction is in the body. And for a lot of people, they're able to integrate the changes. For other people, it creates major confusion because the eyes and the brain are now going separate ways. They're doing different things. Now, in your case, just to give you some perspective, a nearsighted person uh, orients to the world very, very differently than a farsighted person. So a nearsighted person tends to pull the world in, tighten up, use a minus lens, which creates a kind of hypertonous um, posture in the muscles. So it's a tightening, it's a narrowing, it's a, it's a closing in. That's what myopia and nearsightedness is about. Now, hyperopia is the complete opposite. What you're doing there is you're pushing the world away from you. You're using a plus lens, which actually creates a hypotonus situation. So the eye muscles become very flaccid, and you're dependent on magnification to do your focusing for you. So in nearsightedness, it's a tight focus, and in farsightedness, it's a loose focus. Uh, you know, another kind of behavioral characteristic is that nearsightedness is about being caught in past perceptions, and farsightedness is about looking into future, the future. Big picture, somebody that can see the big picture where nearsighted people kind of get caught in the details. Now, when you start off as a nearsighted person and then you become farsighted in the eye, well, there's a big con conflict, a push-pull in that particular right eye where refractively you're wanting to push the world out and you're in that high magnif magnification state, but your brain, mind, body are saying, no, 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 let's pull the world in and tighten up. And so it's, it's kind of like your right eye is pushed out and your left eye is pulled in, but then you've got to deal with your mind-brain, which is saying, wait a minute, I was nearsighted in both eyes before I had these procedures. Now, there is a way out of this rabbit hole. One option would be that, in fact, if you haven't done this already, that you could wear a contact lens over the right eye that is a farsighted prescription, but I tend to find that, let's say you measured plus four, I might give you half of that prescription, like plus two. So it gives you some support and help in the eyeball, 
but also it's not fully correcting you, so you have to keep engaging the right eye. Now, the specific exercise that you're talking about, plus lens to blur, where if you're nearsighted and you wear a strong farsighted prescription, it rebalances the, the eyes to be less nearsighted. Now, in my um, eye clarity program for farsightedness, there's actually an exercise, it's a video, and it's called Minus Lens to Blur. So what you would want to do there is you would want to use a minus lens over the right eye to gain more muscle tone and more focus flexibility. So it's like moving you in the direction of more nearsightedness. So you do it the same exact way as you do the plus lens exercise, but for that right eye, because of the, the high farsightedness, you're using a minus lens in the exercise. So you would think of it as a farsighted presbyopia exercise for the uh, right eye. And, you know, doing the exercises, the di eye dialogue would be a great one for you. Sounds like you're doing that one already. And then also the yin-yang peripheral vision exercise where you're engaging both eyes together, focusing them together, uh, would also be very helpful to you. So even though you've got this right eye and this farsighted deal and the left eye, which is, you know, 20-20 and, you know, you don't really have much of a problem there, you can definitely use these exercises to get the brain engaged more with the eyes. And if you do that, you have a really good chance of getting them to start to talk together. So, Debbie, thank you so much for the question. I really appreciate it. All right, let's move to question three, and this is Laura. Hey, Laura, uh, welcome to the program. And she's asking a question about central retinal vein occlusion. This is a very serious uh, condition in the eye. Let me explain a little bit what it is. Uh, the main vein in, in the uh, retina that drains the blood uh, closes off or partially, uh, it's either partially or completely is closed off. And so what happens is you start to get a lot of blurred vision, distorted vision, and this can actually affect the macula. Now, in some of the, um, you know, less serious or mild CRVO symptoms, you can have transient effects where sometimes it gets better, it gets worse, um, and it usually help it happens in one eye as a starting point. Some of the systemic reasons why we get a central retinal vein occlusion has to do with diabetes in the body, high blood pressure, these are risk factors, uh, if there's a blood clot or reduced blood flow, um, this can cause the central retinal vein to occlude, and this actually then can cause this blurred vision. And, um, you know, one of the ways that it is diagnosed is through um, something called fluorescein angiography, where they put fluorescein in the eyes and you can actually see where the blood clots are. Also, the OCT test, which is called the optical coherence tomography, that's also can be used to uh, distinguish the CRVO from maybe other conditions that mimic uh, this particular uh, problem. The, the best way to deal with this is to use what we call an anti 
VEGF drug, um, and better name of this would be either Avastin or Lucentis. These are the two main anti-VEGF drugs that are used. They are not a cure, so I want to be clear about that. They can reduce the swelling, um, and as the drug leaves the eye and moves into the bloodstream, um, many times you might need a re-injection. Uh, for some people, they'll get monthly um, injections. For other people, if they respond well, then um, they can you know, spread out the injections. But this is basically a symptom approach to uh, this, this pretty serious condition. So I spoke about the, um, the idea that, you know, our diet is so important for our eyes. And I don't know what your diet is, but one of the things that I would consider doing immediately is going to a functional medicine doctor, getting assessed for diabetes, high blood pressure, um, and just seeing what's going on in your systemic and metabolic health, there's probably some inflammatory response going on, oxidative stress. Um, so if you start addressing these things on a systemic level, because the eyes are so highly vascularized, they have so many blood vessels in you know, that area, that if you begin to improve your systemic and metabolic health, reduce inflammation, get your circulation working better, you have a chance to move away from these anti-VEGF uh, treatments, and you can start looking at the causative factors. Now, on an eye level, uh, I think using the MSM eye drops would be really awesome to do. I also think um, making sure you're getting a lot of nutrients that are important for eye health through foods, through doing juicing or... or um, smoothie formulas that, in, <coughs> excuse me, that include um, things like ginger root, turmeric root, uh, you know, curcumin has been shown to be very helpful for retinal health. Um, lutein, zeaxanthin, astaxanthin, these very important carotenoids that protect our macula, vitamin A, vitamin C, vitamin E, you know, foods with all of these things in it, um, and then some of the herbal remedies like bilberry and things like quercetin, taurine, and then your trace minerals. You know, this is where if you go to a functional medicine doctor, they can really assess what's going on in your, you know, not only in your eye health, but your systemic health. Two other things I need to mention here. One has to do with uh, being exposed to mold, that mold can affect your uh, blood vessels in the retina. So I would definitely get tested for mold and get that out of your body. And also your dental health. And if you've been um, you know, exposed to things like mercury amalgams, root canals, uh, gum disease, um, you know, working with a biological dentist is a really great thing to do. Um, so these would be some starting points. I think getting some acupuncture could be really helpful. Getting some lymph drainage or lymph health, uh, support could also affect the eyes. 
so there's a, a lot of things that you can do here to mitigate the kind of deeper causes. And even if you have to do some of this anti-VEGF uh, injection therapy for the short term, if you start addressing this systemically, metabolically, and then do some of these very focused eye things to uh, improve your eye circulation and eye health, I think you stand a good chance to start neutralizing the effects of this condition. I know it's very scary, but it's, um, it's definitely something that you can improve upon. So thank you so much for the question. All right, the last question today is from a listener who is um, really benefiting from all the content I'm putting out, the, um, the advice I've been giving her on uh, diet, lifestyle, stress reduction, uh, vision exercises, eye drops. But she's still dealing with dry eye. And uh, she has started in with the ketogenic diet. And she's a little confused about it. Uh, she's actually been watching the recent series that Mark Hyman has put out, which I've endorsed, called The Broken Brain. And I think that's really stimulated her and helped her uh, quite a bit. So she's very uh, in tune with functional medicine and what that's about. But her question is, she's still suffering dry eye. What, is, what do I think about this uh, ketogenic diet and, you know, increasing fat? Well, I'll tell you, the ketogenic diet is really uh, very popular right now. And, you know, some of the influencers uh, in, in functional medicine, Dr. Hyman is one, uh, Dr. Perlmutter is another, um, they're, they're really uh, talking about the benefits of the ketogenic diet, but from the perspective that um, what we need to really focus on is that, um, well, we need to get enough really good fat in our diet and not worry so much about uh, things like the cholesterol, uh, because the whole goal in the ketogenic diet is that we want to reduce carbs to increase and achieve ketosis. And in doing that, of course, it, it requires a calculation because, you know, in some of the percentages I look at, we're going to do 70% fat, 20% protein, 10% carbs. And in, um, you know, looking at the ketogenic diet, one of the things we have to be careful about is the sources of our fats. So we want to make sure that we're using non-GMO, organic, and if we're doing animal products, grass-fed um, beef or organic chicken, because we want to avoid things like the toxicities, heavy metal toxicities, and um, antibiotics and hormones that are in the non-organic uh, animal products. So that being said, another key component is that in some of the ketogenic, um, ketogenic diet advice is the importance of MCT oil. And the MCT oil has been shown to be very, very helpful for 
our brain health. So bottom line is that if you're suffering dry eye syndrome, obviously the eye drops, the MSM eye massage, the MSM eye bath, very important. Wearing blue blocking glasses, also very important. Taking frequent breaks on your digital is critically important. My eye exercises are also very helpful at improving the eye lymph and the eye circulation. And then, of course, you know, focusing in on the healthy fats, whether it's, you know, omega-3 fish oil, extra virgin organic olive oil, MCT oil. This is where it's important that if you can work with a functional medicine doctor who can really guide you, who understands your body's biochemistry, by getting enough proper fats and oils, this is certainly a very important factor in having all your mucous membranes, including your eyes, to uh, have enough lubrication so that they're not drying out. And certainly when you're on digital time, especially for you know, long stretches, this is going to dry your eyes out. So you have to do things in as many different ways as you can to uh, neutralize the negative effects of digital devices. So I hope that's helpful. Uh, this is Barbara. I hope that's helpful for you. Uh, keep listening, and uh, I really appreciate your participation. Wow. Okay. Well, that's our show for today. Uh, thank you again for your tuning in, and uh, keep sending me your questions, um, and take good care, and until next time, we'll see ya. You're listening to a podcast with Dr. Sam Byrne. To learn more about his seminars and workshops, visit his website, www.drsambyrne.com. The Byrne Method is a trademarked signature of Dr. Sam Byrne for his workshops, seminars, books, and DVDs. The information presented in this podcast is in no way intended as a substitute for receiving professional medical care. The design and purpose for this podcast is to provide information for educational purposes only. Dr. Byrne and his guests have no liability or responsibility to any person or entity for loss, damage, injury caused, or allegedly caused through the information, exercises, suggestions, explorations, or written responses presented in this podcast. Dr. Byrne is not a medical authority and his guests are not qualified to diagnose or treat any disease or health problem. This podcast is not a substitute for medical care. Dr. Byrne's information is only his personal opinion. If you have any health problem, please seek medical care for whatever condition you may have.